Hi, everybody. This is Father Nathan Castle back with the next episode of the Joyful Friar podcast. As you might know, if you've watched the previous sessions that we've done, what I'm doing at the outset of this podcast is to introduce you to a soul who came to me in the night, someone who had died a sudden violent death, who had some challenges in moving along in the afterlife. I call them stuck souls in the subtitle of my first book, Afterlife Interrupted, Upping Stuck Souls Crossover, which is right here in my lap while I'm looking for it on the desk. But here it is. See, there you go. Um, and I want to tell you about my friend Shelby. He, I call him the retired country lawyer. Sometimes I refer to him as Colonel Sanders because in meeting him, he seemed like this very prim, buttoned-down uh, Southern gentleman. Before I went on this, uh, began this uh, version of the podcast, I sat in prayer, and I listened to this story on my audiobook version. It brought back to me the experience of being meeting Shelby for the first time. I was with my dear friend, uh, Laura Dunham, who has since passed, uh, but she uh, is a delight. And anytime I listen to uh, a recording that has her voice on it, it warms my heart. And I went into prayer and asked Shelby to be with me. As a Catholic Christian, that has just seemed normal my whole life. My mom in particular taught me as a little boy that I belonged on earth and I belonged in the kingdom of God, that I belonged to, that I had parents on earth and parents in heaven, friends on earth, friends in heaven. So um, Shelby, it's good to be back with you again. Thank you for joining me because uh, you're one of my best buddies uh, in, in the afterlife. This came during the night, um, Many years ago, uh, and I it was this process was still new enough to me that I wasn't always writing them down. I've since learned to keep a journal near me on the nightstand to get these dreams down when people um, deliver them to me. But, but I was asleep, middle of the night, somewhere two, three, four o'clock is when these occur most of the time. And I had this dream. I, I wrote it down, or at least I in the book I uh, recollected it. So I'm just going to read it to you for a second. I was in the driver's seat of a large, heavy sedan, maybe from the late 70s, an American-made great big car. It might have been a Lincoln or Cadillac. We used to call them land yachts. I was driving on a familiar street in the downtown of a small southern town. It felt like Georgia. A river meandered through the central business district. I made a left turn onto a small side street. All at once, I was driving down a staircase into a river. Its current turned the car sharply to the left and it began to sink. I continued to turn the steering wheel, but the car slowly sank below the waterline. I awoke. Just, just rereading that reminds me of what it felt like originally to have all the controls there's not that much in a car it's not like you're driving a or flying a plane but you at least have the steering wheel and you've got gauges and things that are giving you some information and 
the pedals, the, the brakes and the accelerator, nothing was working. And I was sinking and I woke up. Well, I knew that that was not my dreamscape. I've never driven into a river. Haven't spent very much time in rural Georgia. This was a visitation dream. It was a contact dream. I make a distinction between having a dream, which I have most nights about my own cycle babble, perhaps as you do, but then receiving a dream is somebody else's content. And this was one of those. Well, we did what we normally do. We went into protected prayer with uh, a prayer partner or two. When we did that initial visit and asked Shelby to be with us, he came through and and spoke through me in what I believe is a gift of prophecy. I believe it's it's a legitimate charism in, in the uh, the Christian churches and frankly anywhere else. Uh, to allow God to speak through and and uh, and in in this godly work, helping somebody out who came to me looking for help is uh, was a decision that I I chose to make. Anyway, Shelby did come through, and he explained the circumstance. He had been in a law practice for a long time. He had been married more than fifty years when his wife died. He retired, still in the house that he and his wife had built as their dream home. He had closed his his legal office, but he still got up every morning and was very specific and precise about his grooming. That was important to him. He even mentioned that uh, he had all of his products and that they all had to be a very particular kind. He called it his boudoir. He got up every morning, even in his retirement, and did his full uh, boudoir and dressed in a suit and tie. A, a sport coat like he might have uh, all of his life and went down to a cafe near the courthouse to be with some old friends and uh, to pass the time. Well, he explained to us that unbeknownst to him, he was beginning to lose some mental sharpness. His daughter was concerned that he might be moving into dementia and she had tried to get him to surrender the car keys. He would have none of it. That's such a, a, a big turning point in the lives of many elders and the children or, or others around them who love them. He didn't take kindly to the idea that he was going to surrender the car keys, and he did not. He later said, I proved my intelligent daughter right, <laughs> because the thing that I saw in a dream of driving through a downtown was his experience, taking a left turn onto a side street, so far so good. But then in the dream, the road became a staircase, as weird things do in dreams. And now he had me behind the wheel and I'm driving. And suddenly I'm driving down a staircase and at the bottom of it is a river. The car lands in the river. And as you heard, current turns it to the left. It begins to sink and I wake up. Shelby explained in that first session where we met him that in, the thing that was a staircase in the dream was actually the ridges in a boat launch. Have you ever launched a boat or been around that? A boat launch is uh, oftentimes just a cement slant down into a body of water. There's a place where you can back the carrier of the boat 
into the water, disengage it, and allow the boat to float. But then you need to pull back the vehicle back up out of the water and the carrier that the boat was on. And there's ridges that enable the tire to grab on uh, on a, a wet, sloped place. My dad had a, a boat when I was young, and that was routine. There's always those little ridges at the bottom of a boat launch. Well, poor Shelby. He thought he was just driving down a street, but the street ended at a river where you launch a boat. He launched his land yacht. He just drove himself right into a river, and before very long, he drowned. He stayed conscious and was out of body, became horrified at what he saw because his his now deceased body was at the bottom of a river and very soon he was covered in muck. The nasty slime at the bottom of a river was all in and out of all, every part of him. It was a small enough town that the the People, the first responders, the coroner, the police, everybody that had to deal with getting his car and getting him uh, out, of the, out of a river bottom, he knew them all. Somebody had to cut him out of a, a seatbelt, cut him out of his clothing, and he was horrified that uh, his naked, wrinkly old body covered in river muck was seen by people he knew. He was horrified that this was the end of his life, that after every experience he had ever had, this is what it all came to. And then he did a particular turn of thought. He could have, he could have responded to this in any number of ways, but you know what he did? His primary response was, now I look like an old fool. His idea of what his funeral would be like would be instead of people extolling a long career of, uh, of service to the community as a lawyer, that there would be maybe some words about that, but it had to sit alongside the idea, too bad that he died, such an old damn fool. He should have given the car keys, daughter asked for them. So he created this story in his imagination that the legacy that he was leaving behind because of the way he died was that he was an old fool and that everything that it had preceded that, all of the reputation that he had taken years and years to establish was tarnished at the end by this stupidity. He was an old fool. Now, can you imagine yourself doing anything remotely like that? Can you imagine yourself creating some dramatic story in your head that doesn't serve you well and that only saddens you or makes you get stuck in some sad, depressing loop. Well, anybody that loved him wouldn't have gone to his funeral and then at the back of the room or maybe in the reception afterwards said, yeah, Shelby was just such, such a sweet soul. What a brilliant lawyer he was. Isn't it too bad he was so stupid at the end? Did anybody say that? Well, somehow he had that playing in his head and that really got him stuck in the afterlife. As you might know, uh, the ones who come to me all die sudden, violent, unexpected deaths. And they're all needing some assistance in the afterlife, of which my prayer partners and I are a small part. In fact, we're a small part near the end of the healing process. We've learned that, that whatever it was they needed, they've gotten in sequence. 
you know, the way that you might in a hospital where at first you needed an ambulance and then you needed the emergency room and then you needed, I don't know, intensive care and then a step down room and a private room until you didn't need any of this. You got all the therapies that you needed and you're ready to go out the door. We're kind of the uh, afterlife equivalent of that uh, social worker or people that are at the far end of the process that help you move along and uh, go on to a better part of your life. Well, anyway, we dealt with, with Shelby and he had to, to come to some realizations to, to come to some truths. Well, the truth was he would have been better off following his daughter's advice and surrendering the car keys. That was an unwise decision on the part of a pretty wise man, but we had to remind him, well, yeah, but Shelby, that was the whole point. You, you had lost some of your uh, skill because of the, the creeping advance of dementia that you were just not aware of, or that when you were made aware of, it didn't register with you. So you you weren't at your best at all that day. And you know, if you want to blame yourself, you 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 don't need our help. You can do that all by yourself. Anyway, poor fellow. He had um, he just had to come to the truth that he had exaggerated a thought in his imagination and that it was really time to surrender it. Shelby's a lawyer and he had a great mind. Uh, if, if you should read his story in Afterlife Interrupted Book One or listen to the audio as I did earlier today, you'll see that he's still a brilliant guy. He's he um, When he would be asked a question, he would sometimes break it down into parts. You know how sometimes we might ask a question and it really is, has several connected thoughts that could be separate questions. He would spot that right away and break them down and, and move through them one at a time. But the, the big thing for him was this idea of reputation, uh, how important his reputation was to him. So I looked up, um, I love words, and I, I looked up reputation. That's uh, one of the ways that I prepared for this today. Well, the, I looked at the word dementia. Let's go there first. Dementia, men's, M-E-N-S, has to do with mentality. And dementia means to be out of one's mind. That's clear enough. And to be, But to be in dementia means to be in a body connected to a consciousness where there's some sort of malfunction going on and you're, you're in it and maybe to close to it to even know what's going on which was his case but i looked at at reputation and it has to do with um judgment to 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 judge again or or even to judge um in advance to think about one's reputation is to form in your own imagination what others are saying about you when you're not present or perhaps what others will think about you in the end, like your legacy. Um, that was, was uh, something that he did a great deal of. Now he had a long career that was distinguished. And he said, I had all the trinkets to prove it. He talked a little bit about uh, the necessity when leaving the body of downsizing. Kind of the way he put it, he said it's ironic because I was still living in the uh, custom home that 
he and his wife had built, he said, we were, I was still living in it. I hadn't downsized my residence, but I had closed my law office. And he said, when I did that, you know, you have to box up all of the accumulated um, plaudits and artifacts of an entire life's work. And he said, they went into boxes and I did take some of them and, and put them up in my office in my home. But he said, I couldn't possibly have displayed them all. It would have looked ridiculous. Many of them landed in the basement in a box and were never seen again. So he was, he was re reflecting back upon these artifacts that spoke to his good reputation, his awards and so on, his trophy case. And looking back on it with, uh, with kind of a, I don't know, a sense of bemusement or ridiculousness. That why did I ever think those things were all that important anyway? So he was looking back over his life and just having to take stock. So I, I look at that in my own life uh, because I, I would like to enjoy a positive reputation. I also follow Jesus the crucified and he, he was, yeah, the crowds were all about him a lot of the time. They were really excited about uh, following this winner, except uh, he kept warning them. Are you sure you want to follow me? Do you know where I'm going? Uh, I'm heading into lots of opposition. They're going to um, arrest me, uh, beat me up, kill me. Three days later, I'll rise. Do you want to come along for that trip? Well, I feel like I have. Maybe you have too. Uh, I'm along for that ride. And if you're if you're really in the heart of the Christ, um, Caring very much about your reputation is not going to serve you that well. In fact, in the gospel stories, there's a, a famous story of a couple of his uh, closer disciples um, were arguing with one another along the way about when he comes into his kingdom, who's going to get to sit at his right and sit at his left. And they, they imagined that there would be, you know, a right-hand man, left-hand man, I suppose. But they, they imagined that there must be some access to him that would be a uh, special privilege and, and how might they scheme to get it. And he caught them at it and called them out on it and just said, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing, you have to serve. You need to look for the back of the line, look for the lowest place. Don't be looking for some uh, place of honor. Well, anyway, uh, Shelby got caught up in that. So that's a little introduction to the person of Shelby, but I want to go on to uh, the next two parts of the way that we're breaking this down. The next part will be compassionate response. That is questions that come up from his story, from people who have uh, heard the story. Uh, and then the third one will be a spiritual response to that story in a way where, where and wherever it, it might affect us, where there might be some parallels between what you heard in Shelby's story and your own. Some I might be able to offer something, some spiritual practice that might help you. So that's it for this uh, sh short session. Remember that if you want to uh, be in touch with me, the best way to do that is simply to go on my website, which is nathan-castle.com. So it's N-A-T-H-A-N-C-A-S-T-L-E.com. Go on the bar at the top. One of the uh, things you can press on is contact. That'll bring you a little form that uh, you, that creates an email that uh, and I'm on my email regularly. I'm looking at it all the time. So if you want to be in touch with me, just do that. Contact me through the website, send an email, 
and I'll be back in touch with you. Well, that's it for now. If you'd like to stay tuned, the very next episode of the Joyful Friar podcast is kind of the next part of Shelby's story, which we're calling the compassionate response. So for now, God bless you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can make a donation by clicking the donate button. See you next time. God bless.